This week we're uh, looking at what the Holy Spirit does to give us an awareness that we are children of God. And so I want to read from Galatians chapter 3 and a little bit of chapter 4. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Galatians 3. We're going to start in verse 23 and we'll, we'll read into the, the very first part of chapter 4. Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's, there's neither slave nor freeman. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's descendants, heirs according to promise. Now, I say, as long as the heir is a child, he doesn't differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything, but is under under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Uh, y'all, can, can we talk for a second? There's an app on my phone, and, and it's causing me some serious problems. Uh, the, the name of the app is Find My Friends. I don't know if y'all have this, but... At any moment, I can find out where my wife and, and where my kids are. And I can pretty much, I can do that anytime I want. So let's just see uh, where they are. And so uh, at the first service, uh, David came through. He was here in the auditorium. So that was good. So, and Sue Ellen was here at the first service too. It looks like uh, Madeline is in Shelby. And she's at church. Way to go, Madeline. So, whew, we were worried. And then uh, David's back at his apartment. He was here first service. And then Sue Ellen is uh, on her way back home. She was at the first service, too. You know, when, uh, when my kids were little, I-, I didn't need to find my friends out. You know, when, when my daughter and my son were babies, like Sue Ellen never called into the family room and said, hey, hey, honey, will you check and see where the baby's at? That never happened. 
I never said, wait, we have a baby? No, see, when our kids were little, I knew exactly where they were all the time. I never had to wonder. I didn't need to find my friend's app. But, you know, now, as my kids have gotten older, as, as I've gotten older, you know, everything changes. What I observe in my own family is that families change. They're not stable. In, in this life, with all of its upheaval and we're all growing and changing and it just doesn't stay the same. And you know, sometimes in our families, we, we experience really painful losses. I went uh, over to St. Pete on Friday. St. Pete's where I grew up. A lot of y'all think I'm from North Carolina, and I'll claim that. That's fine. I was born there, uh, but I grew up in St. Petersburg over on the West Coast, and, and I really enjoy going back home. There's something, every time I, I'm driving from Tampa into St. Pete, I go over the Howard Franklin Bridge. They call it the Howard Frankenstein. But when I go over the Howard Franklin Bridge and I see Tampa Bay spread out on both sides of that bridge, there's just something in my heart that says, this is home. And that, that's what families like, right? It's, it's home. And, and you know, after 12 years in St. Augustine, I have the same feeling when I drive over the 312 bridge, too. It's home. But I, I went to St. Pete because I was going to a funeral. And so while we experience in this life, we, we experience a, a place that's called home with our family. But, you know, our families change. And sometimes in our families, we, we suffer really painful losses along the way. So sometimes our families, they don't feel stable. They don't feel secure. They don't feel safe. But listen, if there is something that your heart was made for that no human family can satisfy, then maybe it's because you were made for a better family. And what I want you to know this morning is that you can, because of Jesus, get the family you always wanted. You can get the safety and the security of a family, the family of God, with God as your heavenly father and Jesus as your big brother and the Holy Spirit that comes into your life and he says, Abba, Father, you can have that family, not just when you're young and not just when you're maybe in the prime of your life, but you can have that family forever and ever and ever. Through Jesus Christ, you really can get the, the family you always wanted. And, and if you're like me, if, if your life and your earthly families never quite gave you the security that you longed for, then no, you really can get the family you always wanted. I talked to so many people, and, and I asked them, you know, did, are you feeling in your life, are, are you feeling close to God? 
And sometimes, in a moment of honesty, they're willing to tell a pastor, you know, Dave, I really don't. I I really don't feel as close to God as as I wish I could. I, I really wish I could feel a closer intimacy with God. I long to to walk in the Spirit. I long to read Scripture and and hear the voice of God speaking to me as a Heavenly Father. I really do. And I long for that time when when I speak to God and, and I say, Oh, Father in heaven. And I feel like my my prayers really are getting through. I, I would love for that to be my experience more and more and more. But but you know, sometimes I I just don't. I don't feel that intimacy that I wish I did. And you know, when I sit with somebody and, and they share that with me, I say, you know what? Me too. Because I wish that that I could have a more close, intimate relationship with God. I, I wish that, that when I read Scripture, the fatherhood of God, His voice of kindness and grace and, and love just jumped off the page more often. And I, and I wish that when I spoke to God and I said, Oh, our Father, I wish that I felt like my prayers were getting through more. And you know what has helped me? What's helped me more than anything is what I just read you. Because what I just read you tells me, and it can tell you, that your identity in the family of God is not based on how close you feel to God right now. It's not based on how clearly you hear his voice speaking to you through scripture. It's not based on whether you feel like your prayers are really getting through. It is based on God's work for you through Jesus Christ, period. And when that captures your heart, and it can, then all of a sudden, you will find yourself seeing the fatherhood of God leaping off the page, and you will find the love of God receiving your cries for help through prayer. See, what captures my heart, what brings me back to an awareness of how close I really am to God is the gospel. And the gospel tells us that we're under a a great umbrella of salvation. And the umbrella of salvation is described in this verse. It begins with our justification. Now, I'm going to remind you of some, some big words in the next few minutes. And the first is the word justification. And it says in Galatians 3 that you have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. That at one time you were not justified, but now you have been justified through faith. And it means this, that all of your sin has been forgiven And you have been accepted as being righteous in the sight of God. That means that when God looks at you, he sees you and he says, this one right here meets the mark. 
This one right here measures up to my standard of perfection. This one right here is accepted by me. And we receive that acceptance, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. There was nothing we could do to secure our forgiveness. There was nothing we could do to secure our righteousness. But God has done it for us through faith in what Jesus has done. That's justification. And justification rolls into adoption. That God has made us a part of his forever family. And he has given us access to all the privileges that come with being a part of his family. And so we read in Galatians that we've been made sons of God. That you're all sons of God through faith in Christ. And he says, I now adopt you into my forever family. And then he says, listen, I'm going to begin to work in your life the work of sanctification that beginning with justification, moving into adoption, now sanctification, I'm going to clothe you with Christ. And so last week, as you were reading through Ephesians, you came to a verse that described this process where we are putting on more and more the, the family resemblance. We're putting off the old self and we're putting on the new self. We're becoming clothed more and more with Jesus. We're being enabled more and more to die to sin and live under righteousness. We really are putting on the, the family resemblance. And then the, the best is yet to come that, that where we're headed is glorification. And Galatians tells us that we are heirs. An heir is somebody who receives an inheritance. And what is the inheritance we, we receive? As sons of God, the inheritance that we receive is everything. You say, everything? Everything. We receive the inheritance of everything. You see, there was once a son who received an inheritance from the father. His name was Adam, and God placed him in a garden, and he said, you can have everything. And that first son, Adam, he said, no. I, I, instead of depending upon your grace, instead of depending on you for everything, instead of having everything from your hand, I think I'd like to give a try of, of having everything on my own. And that messed everything up. And in glorification, because of what Jesus has done, he says, listen, I'm going to make everything new. And there's going to be another garden. And this garden is not just going to be a little garden. It's going to be the whole world. And it's going to be a perfect place. And you get to have it. To care for it. And tend it. And work it. And fill it. And the best thing about that garden is that Jesus will be in that garden too. And our older brother, he'll make it possible so that we'll never mess it up the way Adam did. Because the second son, Jesus, he, he's set everything right. Now, see, so this is salvation. So when somebody says, well, are you saved? 
That's what we mean, that we're justified. We're declared righteous, and all our sins are forgiven. We are adopted. We're made a part of God's forever family. We're sanctified, that God is in Christ clothing us, helping us take upon ourselves more and more the, the likeness of the family of God, and that where we're headed is glory, to be with God forever. Now, it's really important that we get the order right, okay? Because some people, some people start with glorification. They say, you know, I'd like to have eternal life. I'd like to live forever. I think that maybe there's a heaven after I die. Maybe I should figure this out. And so they start with glorification, and then they say, well, Maybe the place to start is I need to start with my sanctification. I'll, I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll try and turn my life around. I'll work harder to try and be a good person because, don't you know, God loves good boys and girls. And, and then, listen, I know I mess up every now and then, maybe in little ways. And so maybe I should, maybe I should look to Christ every now and then. And maybe there's something vague that Jesus has done to make it possible for me to be forgiven. But then... Maybe if I do everything right, then I can be a child of God. And it messes up the whole order, and suddenly, that's not the gospel. That's not good news at all. Others of us, and maybe this is more true for some of us here, we start with justification. We say, I know I'm forgiven all my sins through Jesus alone. And I know I'm accepted in God's sight because I've been declared righteous. Jesus has credited me with all of his righteousness, and I'm secure in that. And I know where I'm going eventually is I'm going to be with Christ forever in a new earth, and, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be wonderful. But in between, we have no security in our life of God's love and care for us because we've swapped sanctification and adoption and we start with sanctification and we say well i know that i've been accepted by god but let me work hard to try and keep it up if i could just keep it up if i could have enough quiet times if i could pray enough if i could be in church enough if i could give enough then then i would be sanctified and and then i would know that i'm a son because i'd be doing all the right things and God says, no, you are a son. And because you are a son, I am at work in your life to make you look more and more like Jesus. It's so important that we get the order right. Let me illustrate it from my life. When I was 19 years old, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was standing in my dorm room in Georgia Hall at Presbyterian College. And I was on the phone. You know, it's one of those old phones that had this funny cord. It was wrapped like this. And you'd talk on it, and you'd be walking around the room, and the cord would be wrapping. Okay, so I was talking on the phone. And I was talking to my grandfather. And in the course of that conversation, my grandfather said, David, because that's what he called me, he said, David, I am proud of you. And in my orphan heart, I thought, now, 
I've done enough. Finally, I've studied enough. I've been recognized enough. I've gotten enough awards that now, finally, my grandfather will say, I'm proud of you. And I toenailed my heart to affirmation through performance. And it's taken me, it's taken me the, the, the next 20 years to begin to unravel it, and I'm still unraveling it. Don't you see how much better it is? That the gospel says, you're not adopted through your performance. That when, some, when, when your heavenly father says, I am proud of you, he is not saying, I recognize all your good works. He's saying, I recognize the family resemblance. We're kin. We share blood together. We share life together. I'm proud of you because I love you. And I love you because I love you. Don't you see the difference? Don't you see how, how much better the umbrella of salvation is than, than American folk religion? That, that God helps those who help themselves. And, and listen, he loves good boys and girls. The rest of you, I'm not so sure about. This is the problem with American folk religion is there aren't any good boys and girls. The problem with American folk religion is that there isn't anyone who helps themselves. There's no one who's performed up to the standard of God, who's worth being called a part of his family, except one person, and his name is Jesus. And the gospel says that your identity is not based on your performance. Your identity is based on Christ who lived and died and rose again for you. And that umbrella of salvation changes everything. It really, really does. It'll get you off the performance treadmill. It'll get you out of the web of needing affirmation. It'll get you off the the life of always wondering, have I done enough? Am I good enough? And it'll bring you into a place where you know that you have received the family you always wanted. That Jesus is your big brother and God is your heavenly father and the spirit has been given so that you might know that you know that you know that God loves you because he loves you, because he loves you through Christ. You see, our adoption to sonship, it's not based on what we've done. It's based upon Christ. It's a gift of grace. Our adoption to sonship is a gift of grace. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
So we don't receive what we deserve. We received our adoption to sonship through grace. So imagine that there's a, that there's a man, and he's a wealthy man. He's a wealthy man, and he has many, many servants. And these servants, they all work hard. They all work hard in and, and his family business, and, and they're, they're all working really hard to try and please him. But one, one of his servants, one of his employees, he goes above and beyond. He always has a smile on his face. He shows up to work cheerfully. He works hard all day. He never complains. He does everything right. What a servant. Oh, what a good employee. But the master, the, the man who owns this, all these wealths and riches, he has one son. And that son is a rascal. He's rebellious. He's wasteful. He takes his allowance and he goes and spends it on whatever he wants. The dad, he gives him a job in the family business too, but this son doesn't really have a lot of interest in the family business, so he shows up late. And he knows that the father will never really fire him, so he, he doesn't work a full day. He kind of goes and comes as he pleases. And sometimes he talks about the, the dad behind his back. Sometimes he goes to some of the other servants and he starts to gossip about the father or about some of the other servants or employees in the company. And, and this son is a rascal. Well, eventually, eventually the father, this wealthy man, dies. And it's time for the, the last will and testament to be read. So the attorney for the man, he, he gets... He gets the son together, and, and he gets some of the most favored servants together, too. And they all come together in this conference room, and the lawyer reads the last will and testament. And everyone's expecting who would be rewarded with the inheritance. And everyone's thinking in the back of their mind, I bet that guy gave everything to the servant who served him so well, so faithfully, who was so generous, who worked so hard for him. I bet, I, bet, I bet he gives it to the servant. And maybe you guys are leaning in and you're saying, I hope he gives it to the servant. But if you understand the gospel, you know that it's that rascal who gets it. Because it's a gift of grace. And the son had the identity of a son. And the servant had the identity of a servant. We receive our adoption to sonship through a new identity credited to us, the identity of sons and daughters of God. It's a gift of grace. It's not because we've been smart enough or hardworking enough and good enough. It's because of God's sheer grace that he's welcomed us into his forever family. It's a gift of grace. Our adoption to sonship is a work of Jesus for us. We have adoption to sonship through Jesus. Verse 4 and 5 of chapter, two, uh, chapter 4. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, 
so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, the Bible is a story of two sons. One son's name is Adam, and his record is one of disobedience and rebellion against God. His is a sonship of rebellion, and all of us were born into that sonship. A sonship of rebellion. And what we deserve is the wrath of God. And so us, without Jesus, we're called children of wrath. You say, well, that's not fair. That I would be found guilty because of one, another person's disobedience. We'll come back to that in a minute. But listen, You're not just counted guilty because of another person's disobedience. You do a good job on your own, and so have I. You see, because I was born in in this position of alienation from God, I add to that alienation by putting myself first and putting God last. I add to my alienation by thinking and saying and doing things that that I know aren't honoring to God. And and not only do I do things, I leave so many things undone. And the Bible's word for that is sin. And we've all sinned. We've all sinned in the likeness of Adam. We are just like our older brother Adam. But then there was another son. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. And this son, this son of God came and and he was born under law, but the law didn't crush him. He was obedient to it. Every bit of it. And through his obedience, he racked up a record of righteousness for you and me. And and then his greatest act of obedience was the most scandalous of all. He climbed on a cross. And on the cross, he paid the full and awful penalty that our sins deserve. So that everyone who puts their trust in him wouldn't receive what they deserve, but what they don't deserve. Through his work, he says, my heavenly father will treat you as if you're me because I've been treated as if I were you. You say, well, it wasn't fair that I was treated in Adam. And it's not fair that you be treated in Christ either. You don't want what's fair. You want what's grace. You want what Christ has worked for you and he's done it all he lived for you he died for you he rose again for you to show that you really have been redeemed the penalty has been paid in full there's no wages left for sin it's all been paid and he invites us to believe to admit that God, at one time I was in Adam, but I want to be in Christ. At one time I was far from you, but I want to be close to you. At one time I was a child of wrath, but I want to be a child of God. Jesus, I believe you've done everything necessary to make me acceptable to God. I believe you've done everything necessary to secure my adoption. It's all of your work. Jesus, 
I want to move to follow you. If you'll help me, I want to become the son, the daughter that you created me to be. Because you weren't created for the fall, you were created for the garden. You weren't created for loss, you were created to be blessed and a blessing. You weren't created to stay far from God, you were created to be with God forever. So why wouldn't you say yes to what Christ has done for you? Sonship is a work of grace, accomplished by the work of Christ. And our adoption to sonship, our adoption to sonship is guaranteed by a legally binding promise. See, the Bible uses all sorts of words to describe our salvation. Justification. God borrows a word from the the marketplace, an accounting term in banking where he says it's possible for the riches in one person's account to be transferred to another person's account. And that's what happens in our justification. And God borrows a a term from the marketplace. When Jesus is on the cross, he cries out, to Telestai, it's been paid in full. And even in Galatians 4, he uses the word redeemed, that you have been purchased. But in our adoption, God reaches into the courts of the first century, and he takes a term that tells us That at times, an adult without an heir will welcome into his family an adult child who becomes his heir, the one who is going to receive everything. And in a court of law, through a binding contract, that adult child becomes an heir of everything. And it's a done done deal the judge says it's finished and it's finished it's binding you know what that means it means how you feel about your adoption to sonship is far less important than what God says is true about your adoption to sonship It is based upon a legally binding promise by the God of the universe who is without fault and does not change. And everything that he says is true. And he says what's true of you because you're in Christ is that I, God, have bound myself by promise to you so that you would be my adopted kid. You say, can I do anything to mess it up? No. You can't. I'm sorry. I hope that doesn't bum you out. It's a work of grace. It's a work of Christ. It's a work that is legally binding. And it's a work. It's a work marked by the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, my uh, father in law turned 85. That guy, he's still kicking. He's had a defibrillator put in. Uh, I guess every time his heart stops, it kicks him and gets it going again. I don't know what that means. 
It may mean he lives forever. I don't know. He had colon cancer. You know, he made it through that like a champ. When he was 85, we went on this cruise. And when we went on the cruise, my, my wife has kind of a big family, so we all went, and, and somebody thought it would be a fun idea to make T-shirts. Maybe you've been on a cruise, you've seen people in these T-shirts. I always thought, that is the cheesiest thing ever. And then I had to wear the T-shirt. So we wore the T-shirts. It had my father-in-law's picture on the front, and on the back it said, Bruno, 85. So we're walking around the ship, and we're quite a, quite a uh, sight to behold. And my father-in-law, you know, he never misses a party, so the first night of the cruise, he goes to the uh, newlywed game. Now, some of you have been on the cruise, and you know the newlywed game. Well, Bruno and Sue, they get brought up on stage because they had been married so long. And so they get brought up on stage as the old, longest married couple on the cruise. And they're asking him all these embarrassing questions. And now my father-in-law, Bruno, he's famous. And so everywhere I go on the ship with my T-shirt, people are saying, Oh, you're with the Bruno. You're a part of Bruno's family. I was marked. <laughs> and that's what the Holy Spirit does. You see, everywhere you go, the Spirit has moved into your life. And everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit says, Abba, Father. Everywhere you go. And listen, when you're a stinky kid, the Holy Spirit says, Abba, Father. And when you've blown it, the Holy Spirit says, Abba, Father. And when you're lost and wandering and you lack assurance, the Holy Spirit says, Abba, Father. And when you don't think you can go any further, the Spirit says, Abba, Father. You see, in the first century, a little child is out playing in the street. And as they're out playing in the street, the child falls, skins its knee, and he runs inside. And you know what he says? Abba, 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 Abba. And God says what the Holy Spirit does is when you've blown it, lost it, wandered away, skinned your knee, you've still been marked by the Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, this is your child. This is your kid. You promised on an oath that is legally binding. You can't go back on it. It's done through the work of Jesus on his or her behalf, and it's a gift of grace. And that will bring your little orphan heart back home again. It really, really will. So what I want for me and, and what I want for you is to enjoy our adoption. I want us to enjoy our new family. And so to help us do that, here's what I want us to do this week. I want us to tell ourselves this every day this week. I am a child of God. God is my heavenly Father. Heaven is my home. Today is one day nearer. Jesus is my big brother. 
all Christians are my brothers and sisters too. You can take a picture of that. You, you can jot it down real quick. You, you can find it on my Instagram and Facebook page. But let's say this together. Because this is what I want, you, want for you all week. God is my heavenly Father. Heaven is my home. Today is one day nearer. Jesus is my big brother. All Christians are my brothers and sisters too. Remind yourself every day. Lean into God is my heavenly Father. Lean into the love of God that's been poured into your heart. Lean into your new identity as a part of God's forever family. Lean into this new community that you have called the church. We're brothers and sisters. Lean into the work that God has left for us to do. You see, it's the, the work of adopted kids to, to be a part of what God is doing in the world. We love Jesus because the spirit of love has been poured out into our hearts. We love one another because we're brothers and sisters. See, the church is God's family. Don't you see how that changes everything? You see, we're not some voluntary membership organization. We don't get together and, and vote on membership. We don't get together and we say, well, this one, I kind of like them. They look like me. They talk like me. They dress like me. They work like me. This one will pass. I give them a thumbs up. That's not what we do. At our best moments, what we do is we say, this one's nothing like me. They don't talk like me. They don't dress like me. They don't sound like me. They may not smell like me, but they've been marked as being a child of God. So they're my brother. They're my sister. And when we disappoint each other and bug each other, you know what we say? We don't withdraw our membership and we don't shun their membership. We step in and we say, you're my brother. You're my sister. Let's talk about Jesus and see if what Jesus has done for us might make it possible for, for us to experience anew this participation in the family of God. Do we come short? Yes. But that doesn't change. That doesn't change God's desire that we would love Jesus, that we would love one another that we would love the lost because when the world begins to see the church not functioning as a voluntary membership organization, but functioning as a family of people born again into a community of brothers and sisters in Christ, when the world sees that, then they'll say, I'd like to be a part of that. But as long as they keep seeing us being something less than that and never asking for forgiveness and never asking for help, they'll go, yeah, they're just like all the other clubs in town. They take it or leave it. Oh, that we would be the adopted family of God. It's what Jesus came to accomplish for us. It's a gift of grace. 
It's a gift of grace by the work of Jesus. It's a gift of grace by the work of Jesus sealed with legally binding promises made real by the Holy Spirit that marks us forever. Abba, Father. Let's pray. Jesus, Son of God and Savior of sinners, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us. You are the Son who did what we could never do for ourselves. You are the Son who who lived and died and rose again. You are the Son that Adam was made to be but couldn't be. You are the Son that I was made to be and I couldn't be. You're the Son that that none of us could be. And you invite us, instead of standing before God in our own righteousness, which really isn't very good, you invite us to stand in your righteousness, which is perfect. And rather than standing before God and receiving his wrath, we stand before God and say, you received the wrath for me. Jesus for the people in this room that have heard that message, that good news for the first time today, and, and they want to respond to it, would you help them from their hearts say something like, Jesus, I admit I've sinned, I've broken your heart, and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe you died and rose again. You paid the full and awful penalty that my sins deserve. Jesus, I follow you as my big brother. If you would help me, be my Savior, be my Lord, I'll follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, all of us, all of us forget we begin trying to live based on our performance. Forgive us and mark us. Help us to remember the mark that we've received by the Holy Spirit. Help us overhear the Spirit saying of us, Abba, Father. And help us love the way you've loved us. For I pray. Through Christ. Amen.